Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. I'm back now with part two of my conversation with Mike Messina, part of the Hall of Fame class of 2019. If you missed part one, please go back and check it out. Thoughts from Messina on his path to the majors and his days with the Yankees that led him to Cooperstown. When Messina gets inducted this month, he will be one of the last starting pitchers elected from an era in which starting pitchers were a basic and essential part of a team's success. While that is still true to a certain degree, there's a lot less emphasis on the individual starting pitcher and his place in the game. In this half of our conversation, we discuss Messina's historical achievements in relation to where the game is today and where it's headed. And if you think the Stanford-educated Messina would be a fan of analytics, you will be surprised at his take on the new statistical revolution. Once again, this was recorded at a restaurant in Messina's hometown of Montoursville, PA in early June. You'll hear references to Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel, who were both still unsigned at the time. Here now is part two of my conversation with Mike Messina. I've had the opportunity recently to kind of take a little deeper dive into your 21 season and close it out in 2008. And I've come up with this idea. Follow me with this and tell me what you think. Okay. 20 wins in your final year is essentially what got you into the Hall of Fame. Because I look I at it this way. The other 250 helped. The other 250 certainly helped. But you've already told me about how, what that last year before that felt like. Mm-hmm. You went 11 and 10. Misery. Five ERA. You weren't sure. Yeah, you weren't sure how much further you could go. No. Now, if you follow that up with say eight and twelve, you're sitting at two fifty eight. Perception is you're you've already been gone for two years, and now you finish at two seventy. Perception is you know if he wants to, he can keep going, but he decided he didn't want to. So that number looks a lot different to me based off solely off of that last season. Do you follow that logic? I see what you're looking at. Yeah. Didn't you ask me in this, that last spring training that I had 250 wins? Is that enough to be considered? I don't Somebody remember, came I? to my locker, <clears throat> which I thought it was you, and Maybe. said, you've won 250 games coming into this year. Do you think that's enough to be in the conversation for the Hall of Fame? I said, I said something to the effect that, well, I'm pretty sure my best pitching is behind me, right. not in front of me. Right. So I would hope that... If my, be, if my best stuff is worth the conversation at all, then, then yeah, I would hope that maybe 250 is worth the conversation. But if it's just worth the conversation and that's all the farther it goes, at least they talked about it. So do I think that the 20-win se- season probably you know, could have been the extra little boost, kick, whatever mm. you want to call it, that that made people look again, right. look one more time. Right. But if I'd have gone 8-12, and 12, I mean, I was getting out of the game because I knew it was time to get out. Right. It was just not worth going through that effort anymore. But there, there are a lot of other guys, and there are a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that their last two years or three years a lot. were not high quality. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
I, I'm, I'm certainly thankful for the 20 wins of last year. Um, and, and possibly, probably got me over the, over the, the last hurdle for this. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly pleased that I was able to go out of the game having, having had a, a final season like that. As you said, we don't know the next guy who's even going to get to 270, let alone 300. So when you hear people talk about like the win doesn't matter, the win is unimportant, the win is overrated as a statistic, I understand that it doesn't say a lot about that individual game, but I still feel like the accumulation of wins over a longer period of time probably tells you more about that pitcher or tells you a great deal about that pitcher than just trying to pick an individual win when a guy might happen to be in the game when they score three times the seven that picks up a W. Do you have a greater appreciation for the accumulation of wins now that you see where the game has gone? I think I think, I think think people have slightly failed to remember that ultimately it's whether you win or lose. Mm-hmm. Like the teams that go to the playoffs aren't based on team batting average or team ERA. It's based on whether you win or you lose. So I think I think in some respects, you know, I don't have a lot of control over what happens offensively on the team. So in some respects, me winning or losing isn't a definition entirely of how I threw that day, individual day. But I think you're right in the fact that if you accumulate numbers of wins, it means that over time you stayed in the game long enough because a starter has to pitch a certain amount. It's not like I came in in the seventh, got two outs, and somehow won a game. I have to pitch long enough and be good enough, successful enough, whatever, often enough that you accumulate 270 or 250 or 300. And that's not easy to do. And uh, I don't know when the next guy's going to get to 270. I think there's a couple guys out there that have a chance to get there. But it's based on health and a lot of things. So, um, like I said, I don't... We'll just, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> Do you know how many complete games you finished with? 50-some. 50 57 okay. in uh, 536 starts, including 23 shutouts. I looked up a couple of guys just as a comparison. CC Sabathia has more starts than you uh, to this point, 547. He's only thrown 38 complete games, so 19 fewer. And I'm pretty sure he's not getting adding any more to that total this year. Clayton Kershaw. 25 complete games, less than half of what you had. Justin Verlander, 24 complete games, less than half. Max Scherzer only has 10 complete games and 342. These are guys who are going to be on that stage in Cooperstown one day with you. Um, what do you think about the just the way the game has moved to the point where you're not asked to finish anything anymore and nobody is trying to figure out how to get through your last 10 pitches with the game on the line? It's five, six innings, and see what you can get. Um, I know you don't watch the game as closely anymore, but when you when I read those numbers to you and the best pitchers in the game aren't coming close to finishing the same number of games, how does that make you feel? It's just, it, it's, just a tra- it's just a change of the game. I mean, I finished 57 games. The generation ahead of me yeah. was finishing 25 a year. Yeah. So... It, it's just it's just the evolution of the game. You know, you end up throwing less innings um, over time, uh, and, and and it's it's you know if you it, I don't even know I don't even know 
how I would have been looked at if I was coming into the game today uh, instead of in the in like 1991. How am I looked at in 2019? Do I throw hard enough? Can I, you know, is is my stuff good enough to even be put out there? Because everybody today throws 96 with really nasty, you know, and when and they get them through five innings and 80 pitches and we're on to the six inning guy, the seven inning guy, the eight inning guy, and the closer. Yeah. I mean, in some games they start a guy and he pitches one inning, and they move to somebody else. So the game the game has changed, but there are still guys out there that they just you're not going to finish as many games. It's just it's just how it is, and and uh, but but you know, if you're only going to pitch five innings a game, you're going to miss out on opportunities. Right. And over time, maybe it's two opportunities this year, and maybe it's two next year, and you know, maybe it's two. And if it's two every year for ten years, that's twenty. Mm-hmm. Well, then I go from two seventy to two fifty. Right. And if you do that for eighteen years, then I'm from two seventy, you know, down in the in the two thirties. And then we're not even talking. And then we're not even sitting here. Do you think you would have pitched differently if you knew that all you had to do was go five, six innings and their elite arms coming out of the pen would have changed how you went about I think, the game? I think, it, I think that changes how – that changes a lot. It has to change your philosophy of pitching. Mm-hmm. It has to. I mean, you know, we just we – just, I was the very end of an era where finishing the game was a big deal. Like – and the manager, the managers that I started with, were from the era of complete games. Right. So you know, Johnny Oates caught guys that it was a complete game. So, D- Joe Torre, you know, it was a complete game. That's just how the game was then. It, it changed. It evolved. It became something else. And you're right. There's going to be guys who come up and 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 get elected to the Hall of Fame who won't win 250 games. And it's about awards and, and uh, you know, achievements and longevity of a career isn't going to be the same because maybe careers won't be as long. Right. I mean, guys are making so much money now, they don't have to push it out there as far as other guys had to push it out there to keep, to keep having income. Yeah. So I guess, we'll just, I guess we'll just see how it goes. But I, the, way, the way it's looking now, I think I think Verlander has a chance to win 270 games, mm-hmm. um, but you just have to see. You never know; things can change really quickly. I hope he stays healthy, and I hope he has a chance. We'll just we'll see. I remember the number 500 being very important to you. The innings markers. Every 500 innings, you'd roll a ball into the dugout because right. it meant something. Uh, you know, nowadays, I mean, you pitched at one point very early in your career. You were pitching over 240 innings a year, so every couple of years. You know, now it's going to take guys three or four years yeah, to, to get there. Why was that number? How did that start, and why was it so important every 500 innings to market for you? I don't, I don't know how it started. I think it was just something that, for me personally, it was like, hey, I stayed in this league long enough to pitch 500 innings. Yeah. And now I, stay, I pitched a thousand innings already in the major leagues. It's pretty, you know, and you just kind of just look at it like it, it's it's just a small milestone, but it's something to, that's that's. That's kind of cool that I get to do. I've done this long enough now to get to so many innings, and mm-hmm. and uh, and it really and it also meant that that I was out there doing my job, like I was supposed to do my job. So I'm a starter. I'm going six or seven innings. You know, I'm I'm out there long enough to accumulate stuff like this. Right. Um, 
and that was I, that was it was reassuring that that I knew what I was doing and that that uh, it wasn't just luck. You know, you, you don't you don't throw you don't throw three thousand innings on luck. So yeah, I was I now yeah I don't have the innings that some guys did. There were guys who pitched a lot a lot more years and and in eras and in eras that that you were throwing three hundred innings a year. Yeah. I didn't pitch in that era, so. But it was, it was, it's, it's still satisfying to look back and say, you know, I started over 500 games and ended up with 3,500 innings. You know, I was almost seven innings a game for my career, and and I won more than half my starts. And there's not a lot of people that get to say that as a starting pitcher. You don't get to say over 18, almost 18 seasons. The way it's going now. Um, first of all, like scouting reports. Did you like detailed scouting reports? Did you like going over those? I mean, that was all the information you had back then. You didn't like those? You didn't like di- diving into those too much? No, I didn't dive at all. Okay. Uh, so. so I didn't think I know where this is going to go, but I'm going to ask you. Um, the analytic revolution now, all the data that's, that's out there and being provided. The trick, I know, as, as people say it, is knowing who can handle how much information and not overloading somebody who is just going to get paralyzed by it. But would you have, you didn't like those, would you have liked to know the sort of data that the analytic-driven people today are, are giving the athletes, giving the pitchers and the hitters, and trying to make them better? Would you have liked that kind of information? Um, it's hard to say, I, simply because they didn't grow up with that information available to me. I had to, I had to learn it a different way, so... Uh, I, I never, I never wanted, I never looked at that stuff. I never watched too much film. I just wanted to know basically who was, who was going good and who wasn't going good mm-hmm. in their lineup. You know, mm-hmm. so if a guy is, you know, if a guy is six for his last ten, I'd like to know that he was six for his last ten. And who did he get those hits off of? Was it, you know, lefties and, or was it somebody that's like me? Right. And so. Uh, so those were kind of the factors I looked at and how did I feel and what did he do against me last time because you know how the schedule works sometimes you face the same team twice inside of 10 days and uh, so you have to you have to remember what worked the last time and um, and remember the fact that yeah this is only there's only been one other start between when I faced him last time or this time or maybe none maybe I had him the last game at their place, we played somebody else for a series, and now I got them here at our place. And this is two starts in a row for me. But they played four other games, yeah. so they've seen, they've had this guy. This guy coming to the plate has 12 at bats against other pitchers, not me, yeah. since the last time I saw him. So you have to take all that into account. But I didn't worry about, you know, his exit velocity or hmm. spin rates or whatever other stuff. Sure. Can I get the breaking ball over the plate and get this guy off balance enough to get him to hit a ground ball to shortstop? That's basically. I think a lot of what they try to do now is they tell a guy, listen, the spin rate on your curveball is really good. You should be throwing it more than you do. You're not throwing it enough. You're not having enough as much success as you could. The Astros have been really good at that. Um, is that something that you would have been receptive to? As I mean, you had a lot of pitching coaches I know over the years. Uh, yeah, but were, was is that type of analysis something that you would have? been open to I mean you can I have no problem listening to analysis yeah. if they're going to sit there and tell me that you know they're only hitting 146 off your breaking ball 
And I'm like, okay, what were the counts? You know, they're like, well, we don't have that. Yeah. Well, okay, a breaking ball in a in a one-two count versus a two-two count is a different animal. So you have to. There's a lot of things that go, that are involved in in your analysis, and and there's a lot. If you're gonna give me analysis stuff, then then it kind of has to be spelled out the way I think about it. Like when I'm on the mound. If I'm gonna get the guy out with a breaking ball, I got him out with a breaking ball. This was the count last time, or or I didn't get him out with it, or I got myself in a bad situation because I threw this pitch in this count. So I don't want to do, get myself in that situation again. So there's there's stuff that there's stuff that runs through the equation that's in my head that maybe they're not gonna provide for me. So I didn't really my equation, and and that's the one thing that people just don't understand. Like I throw a pitch. And I've got a ball coming back from the catcher, and I'm going to go back up on the mound and throw the next pitch in about 15 or 20 seconds yeah. total time. Yeah. Maybe a little more. I have to answer 15 questions in those 15 seconds right. in my own head. Right. And the catcher has to be thinking the, with you. Or, well, the catcher, and I, tell, I told Posada this too a lot, because when I first went over there and I shook him, he would sometimes get a little offended by it. I'm like, listen, you're, you're making a suggestion. Don't get offended. Mm-hmm. You're suggesting what you think, and I'm either agreeing or I'm going to go with what I think. And since my name's next to the L or the W, I'm going to go with what I think, okay? Yeah. Okay. And that's just how it was. So he doesn't really have to think with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it works out better. Sure. There's less shaking and less... Yeah. Like, it keeps the game moving a little better, but he's looking at my stuff from his perspective and I'm looking at my stuff from my perspective. Mm-hmm. He may not see if I'm like right on target or the ball's coming out of my hand that it feels the way I want it to feel or whatever. He doesn't know that stuff, so he's making a suggestion and, and uh, I will make, I'm making my evaluation of the situation at that moment based on a lot of stuff. Who's up? Where are the base runners? How many outs are there? Where are we in the game? What's he seen before? What was the sequence? Boom, boom. You know, there's seven things right there I just said in like 10 yeah. seconds. Mm-hmm. And that's all the stuff that I have to, I'm evaluating really quickly. There's a lot going on in the catcher's head too. I'm not expecting him to do the same evaluations every time. He may not think like I think. And so, but that's what, you can give me a lot of info, but I'm still going to go back on my experience and, and my firsthand knowledge of facing the guy in the batter's box. Um, because spray charts and all the numbers you have aren't against me. Yeah. Some of them, very maybe a very small percentage of, are against me, but not all of them are. When I watch a guy during the course of a season get get roughed up in a bad start, and they happen a few times a year, and really good pitchers, still, it still happens yeah. to them. Absolutely. If I watch CC Sabathia or Masahiro Tanaka get knocked around, I always come back in my head to what I kind of refer to as your rule of 30. Okay, you have 30 starts in a year. Five times a year, you're gonna oh, have great. That. Is it more than that? 32. Okay, 32. Use 32. Use 32. Okay, quarter, so I'll one quarter up. Quarter and a half. Gotcha. So I'm well. I, I basically eight, eight sit to 16. eight, eight and sixteen. Eight I, terrible, I, eight great, and sixteen in the middle. I undershot because I was gonna say like five or six great, five or six terrible, and everything else in between. I think there's. I would say. I would say once a month plus one here or there. That's okay. about eight. Okay. So once a month, you feel really good. Mm-hmm. Once a month, plus a little, you feel like you have no idea what you're even doing. Mm-hmm. How did I get on this team? Yeah. And the other 16 are somewhere in between. Those in between, that's what, that's what separates. That's what makes 
the the great pitchers better. That's what makes them great. With all due respect to my theory about the 20 wins, that's what gets you to the Hall of Fame. Those games in between uh, where you have to figure it out. That's half a season. Yeah. Half a season of, of not your best and not your worst. So, and the problem is, the problem is you're analyzing the best and the best is like close your eyes, throw it real hard, it goes right where you're thinking about. Or your breaking ball is... You're trying to throw it for a strike. It's low. It's right there. Bang. You're trying to throw it for a strikeout pitch. It's just below the zone. You know, everything's working just how you would write it up. And you get one of those one out of five or one out of six times out there, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, the ones in between, maybe you don't have a good breaking ball that day. Maybe the, the ball just doesn't have any life coming out of your hand or you don't feel like it does. Your location isn't how you would love it to be. And you got to figure it out. You just have to figure it out. So I never, that's really why I never had a, a, a uh, scouting report game plan thing because I didn't know what it was going to be like when I left the bullpen. Right. So, and, and Flaherty talks about this all the time, how I would, he, Flaherty called me a couple of times. And the first time he did, he asked me, okay, Michael, let's get together and figure this out. I go, figure what out? He said, well, we got to have a game plan. I said, no, we don't have a game plan until we come out of the bullpen and figure out what we got. Yeah. Well, I'm not real comfortable doing that. We'll be okay. Just let's. <laughs> and so, but that's what you do. You and 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 the bullpen itself isn't necessarily a a good barometer of how the game's going to be. You're throwing a catcher with no batter right. in an enclosed two walls going down the side situation yeah. versus out in the game. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not the same atmosphere at all. So maybe what didn't work here is going to work out there. What did work here won't work. Out. Let's let's go face some hitters and see what we got. Yeah. And that's <clears throat> and that's how I kind of formulated my day out of 100 pitches how many would you end up throwing a top velocity because it seems like nowadays it's, it's a very high percentage of them yeah probably at max effort out of 100 was probably i would say probably 30 percent maybe mm-hmm. i mean that would seem right if you face if you face 30 hitters you know there's there, and that's one a hitter so you, you probably you're probably going to absolute max effort on the out pitch and and that's probably how that's probably how I would just look at it as a guess maybe you watch a lot more high school games now than you do professional sure. major league games what do you what are you seeing are you seeing them try to do that just throw everything as hard as they can are you seeing and I understand we're not talking about guys who are going to be professionals but they're watching professionals and they're trying to maybe copy some of the things that they see so what do you see about the the game and the guys who might someday become, um, you know, the future, future pros. What what do you see that they're trying to do that you like or don't like? Well, I, I think my job is coaching high school sports and baseball in particular is to try to convince them that 100% every pitch isn't really the best approach. Mm-hmm. And and when you hit, because all these kids hit too. It's not sure. like the American League where they don't hit. <laughs> um, so I said, when you hit and the guy throws you four fastballs as hard as he can, by probably the third one, you got a pretty good beat on it. Mm-hmm. But if he throws you a fastball, a curve, a change, something up at your eyes, and then something else down low, and maybe the breaking balls aren't at the same speed, you know, it's tougher to hit. You're a hitter. You stand there. You know it. The ball's not going straight over and over and over again. The curveball is not as hard as you physically can throw it every single time. You're gonna be more successful if it's at like 90%, if you work at 
and then you can go off 90% and you can add to 90%, but let's work at a space where we can be more consistent and successful with what we're trying to do. Because you can throw the best pitch in the world and the guy can flick his bat at it and still get a hit. And you can throw one right down the middle where it should go over the fence and he pops it straight up or he doesn't, he misses it or he takes it. So let's just control what we can control. And this is the best way to do that. And 100% effort on every throw is not the best way to do it. And once you convince them of that, they they usually will play along that way, and that's and that's that's all I'm trying to do is I'm showing them that that the little league way, where if you're the hardest thrower in the league and you just throw hard all the time and you still strike them out, we don't it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. Let's 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 be better. Let's make ourselves better than just how hard can I throw it. You played through a time period which is easy to say the worst in as far as the relationship between players and management you had a work stoppage longer than any other um baseball got through that and even though there are people who still think there's something coming soon the economics of the game has changed a bit and you know you played in a time where there was a lot of money being made and 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 it was being handed out to players over 30 very easily you were a recipient of that it's not the same anymore I'm wondering just what you think about how the game has changed economically and where, where you might think it's going just based off the talent level and what teams seem to be willing, what teams are signaling now is that once you get to a certain point, we know you're not going to be as profitable for us as you were in your 20s, so we're not going to be as willing to give you that kind of money. It's taken a lot of the older players, the leadership qualities that those players bring. It's taken a lot of that out of the game. Um, what do you think about the state of that right now? That was a really long question. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I specialize in this. Uh, yeah, um, I don't. I don't. I think. I think this is still something that you're just going to have to let it play out and see where we are mm. because. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many 40-year-olds are playing. Yeah. It doesn't seem like very many. No. I, mean, all you, I mean, just to simply look at something like, okay, how many pitchers, active pitchers have 150 or 200 wins? Just pick a number. Yeah. And it's not a very big number. Right. When And I was fortunate. You know, I was playing in an era where there were Clemens, Maddox, Glavin, Randy Johnson. There were 300 game winners still competing. Right. There has there's no there's barely a 250 game winner competing. Right. And that's and it's it's because they aren't playing as long. And uh, maybe it's because of the type of player everybody's looking for. They're looking for the guy that throws 98 with a nasty slider or splitter or whatever it is. And you can't throw 98 for your whole life. So if you don't learn to pitch, pitch, you won't be around a long time. Maybe they're afraid that you've just, just historically you're going to break eventually. And that's what they were worried. I know they were worried about that with me. I never had arm surgery when I went to New York and they gave me a six-year contract and people I heard, I know people said, you're crazy. He's due to break down. And somehow, luckily, I didn't. And I turned out to be worth what I was paid. And even for the two other years after the first year. So for eight years, I basically was I, I was worth what I got paid. So uh, I just don't think ownership now is willing, based on how the game is, to 
throw a lot of money out to older players when they can just throw less money out to younger players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the nature of the game. And, and I, I hope it doesn't stay that way. I know there's, I know, and I don't even know if it's, as we're sitting here, there's like high-level starters and closers, at least one of each that I know of, who aren't on a team. Right. And they're a little older. Yeah. They're not necessarily like 35. Right. But they're a little older, but they have an expectation of what they want to sign for, and they won't take less, and people won't play it. Organizations won't offer it. Right. Well, you know, I kind of... People ask me about that, like you're saying, that these guys aren't signed yet. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to be honest, and I'm nothing against any of the players because I think players should get what they deserve. But, you know, I'm an old car guy, and I can think an old car is worth something. Yeah. And if somebody else isn't willing to give it to me then the car's not worth what I think it's worth. So the car stays mine because that guy wants it, but he's not willing to pay for it. So I, you know, they, you should get what you, you should get what you are worth. But on the other side of it, if they're not willing to pay what you are worth, then you're not going to get it. So it's business. It's unfortunate, but it's business. And, um, but there's a lot of guys out there making a lot of money. There's yeah. there's big numbers out there that are obviously in the 10 years since I played a lot bigger than 10 years ago. Yep. So uh, the money's out there. I just it's just not that the older player just doesn't have an opportunity like they did before. I guess is the best way to put it. You once told me that Major League Baseball to you might as well just been another TV show that you watched because it was something from where you live, it was another world away. And getting there just seemed like uh, a, a dream kind of far out there. Uh, does it seem now you're right back where you started? Yeah. So, so does it seem like Comfort it happened? <laughs> does it seem like it happened to somebody else? Does it seem like it was a different lifetime? Um, it doesn't seem like it happened to somebody else, but it does seem like a different, like it was, I don't know, like I lived, like I lived for a while, and then I, then I became somebody else yeah. for a little while, yeah. and then came back to the first guy. I don't, I don't know. It's just to 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 sit here now and watch games on television, and to still see a couple guys that I played with. Yeah. Um, there aren't many left. There's yeah, a, a couple. There's a couple out there, um, or against. Um, it's just. It's just so strange that this is how it started. Watching the Yankees on television and it being like reality TV, and but and I've even said this to like the, the people from the Hall of Fame. Like it was like it was like they're actors. I had no. I had no relationship with anything professionally. Like to know what a professional baseball player or a professional athlete was even like, so they could have. Who knows? They're on TV. What it could have been any? I didn't know. And I'm a little kid watching on television, and I never get to see a pro game until I was like 10 years old. And when I did, it was from way up in the mezzanine at Yankee Stadium, and and so it's just it was just a different world. And I went from this world to that world and back to this world, and that's kind of. That's kind of how I lived it, and and uh, that's why I that's why I still say I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I ended up 
being as successful as I was and how I got to the Hall of Fame. I don't know how I did it. I can't write a book and tell you anything about how it happened. I just kept playing, and they kept telling me to keep playing, and I kept going, and then I got to say when I stopped, and most players don't get to say that. And so I'm really thankful that I had the opportunity to, to at least do that at the end. I always found it kind of funny that you could go from one world to the other really quickly because I remember at least a couple of times where you guys got eliminated at home from in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. You just got in the car and drove home a couple hours, and, and you were done the yeah. next that morning. That was it. By 3 yeah. in the morning, you were, it was over. Yeah, that was – the, the finality of seasons sometimes is really mm-hmm. tough. Like, I was, we, just lost, we just lost our high school state playoff game, and, you know, you get on the bus and – you go into the game and you don't realize what could happen to you if it if you lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the last sports season for like the graduating seniors. This is it. Yeah. And they don't realize it either until, wait a minute, it's over. I'm not a high school athlete anymore. And you know, the same thing happens every season. With you know, you go to a playoff game if you're if you're a playoff team. Mm-hmm. You go to that last playoff game and like, man, if we win this, we're we're gonna you know you we want to win. You're focusing on winning. And if you don't, like, wait a minute. Now we got to pack up because it's over. Right. And then you switch gears and turn it and go to that other world for however long that lasts. And for the guys that live, you know, near where they play, it's not a lot of change. Right. It's the same world. They just yeah. don't go to the stadium. Mm-hmm. For us who go to a different place, you know, you just drive across the bridge from one from one island to the other island and now we're going to yeah. stay here for a while yeah. and that's kind of how that's kind of how I felt about it and, um, but it, it like I said the la- that last day when I when it was over it wasn't like the end of high school or the end of college because yeah. I knew I had made a decision already and I knew that I knew what was next right. I wasn't caught by surprise by what was next so uh, I'm really lucky that I got to do that That's that was a that was a uh, one of my luckier, fortunate things that happened to me in baseball. Are there any of the almosts that still bother you? <laughs> ten years, no. ten years or more later. <laughs> I hope not. I say I mm-hmm. hope not. I don't. I don't. I mean, I, you know, we 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 lose the World Series with the best closer on the mound. Yeah. Like, uh, I lose a perfect game to a, in a, with two strikes, and yeah. but. I mean, was I? The other guys are pros. Was I really supposed to throw a perfect game? You know, they're pretty good hitters, and I don't. I just. I don't have any regrets about anything. And and the almost thing is is a great story. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Part of the career mm-hmm. that all these almost things. I never won a. I never won a World Series. I never won a Cy Young. I've been runner up for both. I barely ever led the league in any categories. You know, I, I didn't throw 98 miles an hour. It wasn't, you know, I, and yet I'm in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I think the almost stuff is just like how it was supposed to be. Everything happened. I, I still look, everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And if it had happened any other way, then I, we wouldn't be talking about it. I mean, if I ever had to have arm surgery, right. we wouldn't be talking about it. Right. And if I... You know, I won, I won 11 games a year, 17 years in a row. If one year in the middle there, I miss half the season and only win five or six, yeah. does it make a big difference? Maybe. Right. 
Could maybe it affects what happens after that. It could. Yeah. It makes a difference. Like maybe I'm not on the same team. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm. So it just everything everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. So knowing like who you are and where you're from and kind of what you do, I know that being elected to the Hall of Fame probably isn't going to send you to more card shows. I'm going to check no. You're not you're That's not going out check. and about, right? Yeah. Uh, a TV job. No. I'm going to check no. Front office job, no. no. Manager, no. no. Pitching coach, no. no. So you've got a couple more years left with your younger son in high school where you want to keep coaching him. But I, I phrased it this way to Mariano Rivera. I said getting into the Hall of Fame essentially closes the book on that part of your life, the baseball part of your life, and now it's the next part of your life. Mm-hmm. What do you want the next part of your life to be? I think the next part of my life is already what I'm, is already what I'm doing. Is already, I mean, every everybody who has children reaches the point where the children all grow up and yeah. go do their own thing. Everybody deals with that yeah. who has kids. Um, and and realistically, most of us who, play, who got the opportunity to play in the, in the major leagues, when the career stops, that chapter stops. That that part of your life stops. For me, eleven years later, I get to add a part of the, yeah. add another section of the movie that they cut out the first time, so they re-release it, <laughs> right, right. you know, yeah, uh-huh. with an extra fifteen. It's the paperback edition of with the hardcover book. Fifteen seconds of previously yeah. deleted uh-huh. material. So it just it it, I don't know. It's an opportunity to talk about my career again for a little bit about about how well it went and how fortunate I was and. But the next chapter for me isn't real. For Mo's, it's maybe it, Mo's only been out for five years. You know, he's in the first time, and Derek's going to get in the first time he's eligible. Yeah. And I've already been like doing what's next. And so you going to keep coaching when you when your son's graduated? See, I don't know. I don't. I I, I, I might. Yeah. I mean, I, but I might not. And and you know, who knows? You know, your kids. As my kids get older, you know, you hopefully you have grandchildren or something, and then. I think life kind of leads you to the next chapter. You're not going to, you can't like go out and say what it's going to be because you don't really know. And I think, uh, I think because it's, you know, most of, most of life for me is is here. It's always been here and I don't think it's going to be a big change. You're right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take any coaching jobs. Uh, I'm not going to work for television. I'm not. I mean, I don't even want to like coach high school gym class, you know, I, or teach high school gym class. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just content with what I'm doing. I love, I love being retired. Um, it just gives you opportunities to do things that you really want to do, and for that, for the, the guys who have to, re- who don't get to retire until they're 65 or 70 years old. Yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. You know, I get, I get an opportunity to do things when I'm still able to do them, and. That's that's another. It's one of the most fortunate things about what I was able to do and the job I had. That it doesn't last very long, but I got lucky enough that I can now enjoy retirement for a lot longer than most people get to enjoy retirement. Other than getting it over with, what's the one thing you're most looking forward to about Hall of Fame weekend, the speech, and just being a Hall of Famer? Besides getting it. Besides, I knew. Yeah, I had to qualify that because I knew I knew you'd go there. Um. I don't, I don't know. Just to be able, you know, just to be able to stand in the same room with 
with the guys that we've talked about before yeah. um, to see to see some of the guys that I played against yeah. or with mm-hmm. that I haven't seen very often, if if at all, since I stopped playing or since they stopped playing, um, and to be and just you know to be part of that group. It's a it's a it's a fraternity that is very limited uh, as far as who's who's even eligible to get in, yeah. let alone who does get in. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people you got to thank for this, and, and, and there's a lot of people that you won't thank that really helped along the way. Yeah. And, I mean, from... I mean, there's, I, say, I said this, there's a lot of guys that said, oh, you did all this, and I go, yeah, well, wait a minute now. There's a lot of guys whose names I don't even remember who caught ground balls, who caught a fly ball, who, who got a base hit, who scored a run, who, who got three outs for me in relief that I don't even remember their names. But yet if it wasn't for what they did at that particular moment, we may not be talking about this. So like I still, you know, you would go back to that, how'd you do it? I don't know how I did it because, because it wasn't like I, throw, I threw seven no-hitters right. and struck out 4,000 people. I didn't do those things. I, there's there's plateau numbers that I didn't reach, and yet I did well enough to to be in the room with guys that did do it, who did win Cy Young awards, and who did strike out three thousand people or three hundred guys in a year, or you know led the league five or six or ten times in a category. And it's just it's cool to it's cool to think that I, somehow I I went from playing wiffle ball in the backyard to to Cooperstown, New York, and I get a plaque on the wall at the Hall of Fame. My thanks to Messina for allowing me the nearly two-hour visit to his hometown and for picking up the lunch tab. While he was not a person I initially thought I would develop any sort of connection with when I first met him in 2001, I did after a while find him to be a very willing teacher of all things pitching and baseball once you cut through the exterior wall and let him figure out that you had intelligent conversation on your mind rather than short catchy sound bites, although those were certainly appreciated as well in my line of work, and he was good at it too. I look back and think that talks with Mike Messina at his locker are among my favorite things during my time on this job, now almost 20 years. And I hope after listening to both parts of this conversation, you'll understand why. Once again, part one is available on the archive at radio.com, wfn.com, and on iTunes. You'll find my conversation with Derek Jeter there as well. Go ahead and subscribe, review, all that fun stuff. And next week, my conversation with Mariano Rivera. Until then, thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.